Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoy listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Hi, thanks for listening today to my conversation with my friend Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is a music therapist, but I asked her along today because she's lived with chronic illness for quite a few years now, and I wanted to have a discussion about living with chronic illness. There's a lot of people in my world that I come across who have chronic illness, whether it is autoimmune disease or coping with effects of long COVID. There's just so many um, so many different illnesses that we just don't know a lot about. And Elizabeth has really great perspective having lived with this, but also through her music therapy practice and treating people who have health issues that they are looking to resolve. So it's a really useful and helpful discussion and I hope that you enjoy it. Hey Elizabeth, how are you? Hi Kelly, I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I am really well. Thanks so much. I'm so uh, grateful that you are able to take some time to talk to us about living with chronic illness because there's a lot of people around who suffer from autoimmune diseases or other diseases that have stuck in their life. And and I was reading some statistics lately that 80% of autoimmune sufferers are women. Wow. Mm. It is. And one thing uh, that strikes me, I, I quite like the Chinese medicine traditional Chinese medicine view, they always say, like, we have three golden opportunities in our life uh, to take care of ourselves or if we don't, like, we hinder our health going forward and it's uh, when we get our periods, this is in reference to women, um, so that men are time, postpartum time and then menopause mm. and that if we take care of ourselves, we kind of set ourselves up to live well. Mm. Um, but then, you know, as we, you and I were talking about before we got on the world that we live in is kind of crazy. Yeah. It's really hard to just even get mind space to think about taking care of yourself when you're just trying to keep up with what's going on, all the demands, everything that we have to get done, all the expectations on us as people and as women. Yeah. So, um, perhaps it might be helpful. Can you tell us a little bit about you? So you're a music therapist who has chronic illness, but maybe like what's been your journey up until now and how, how did you get into music therapy and talk a little bit about your illness and yeah, we'll just go from there. Sure, sure. So I grew up in a musical family. It was actually in church that I learned to play music mm-hmm. and I was sort of thrown into the deep end. My parents were ministers and they asked me to play the piano and I was already experimenting with music a lot 
even from five years old, I was gravitating towards the piano and the guitar and singing. So mm-hmm. it was very natural for me to, to get involved in church music. Mm-hmm. And then as, as, I, as I developed that, I became interested in gospel and then pop music. And I, in my early adulthood, I actually played with being in a band and doing recordings and trying to make a career out of it. And that ultimately didn't happen for me. And I ended up doing admin and, and getting into IT. So uh-huh. I, I had a, a quite a, a decent career in, in co- the corporate world, doing administration and then moving into database development. And mm-hmm. I did that for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. And then things kind of took a turn in my life. I got divorced. And a couple of years later, I got really unwell Mm -hmm. and I kind of crashed out and I had to Mm -hmm. stop. So the illness actually came on over about three years. Uh So back in 2010, I started to feel unwell and my energy started to fluctuate a bit. I got a virus. I had a case. I had pericarditis as well. What's that? That's actually inflammation of the, the lining of the heart. Okay. So that sort of came out of the blue after I had a virus and I didn't get any treatment for it at the time. I just had to rest. But from that point onwards, at the end of 2010, my health started to decline. Mm. And by the end of 2013, I became bed bound and I was actually in my bed for nine months. I couldn't I couldn't do anything. I was completely exhausted and Mm. I had infections and all kinds of illnesses that were going on in my body. And yeah, so that that sort of that was like a bit of a truck that hit me in my life. Mm. And from there, I've had to rebuild. And the music therapy career came out of being sick. I actually had to quit my job. I was living in Sydney at the time. I was working for an investment bank. I had to quit there and come to Melbourne, move in with family and start from scratch with my health. Mm. So it was really a case of nothing else happening in my life but just dealing with my health and I I had different crises that happened with my health at one point I ended up in hospital I had fluid around my heart and lungs and I got so sick with that I nearly passed away with that and then and then I um I came through that and eventually ended up enrolling in music therapy and have built my health back up to the point where I was able to finish my course and start my career as a music therapist, which I absolutely love. Mm. So what does a music therapist do? So a music th- and in music therapy, we work with people to support their health goals. Mm. So it's actually an evidence-based practice. It's based on research. And we, we work alongside of people with all different abilities and health conditions and identities mm-hmm. to support what they want to do with their health. And that could be, we use a range of methodologies. So Mm -hmm. we use songwriting, we use singing, music listening, instrumental play and improvisation. But all of that is to support health goals. And I actually work in the areas of disability and mental health. So there are Mm -hmm. specific goals around around people's functioning and their quality of life that I work on. I work on with those clients mm-hmm. and they're really in the driver's seat to let me know what they want to do with music and how they want to use music to support them. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a great therapeutic support for people. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We know that music actually supports people in many aspects of their lives. Yeah. And it can it can support people's physical functioning. You can use it to you can use it actually in, in a rehabilitation kind of a setting. You can actually use it to support their mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And it's really it's a really beautiful modality that's very accessible to people. Mm, sounds like it. So let's talk a little bit about um, chronic illness. So chronic fatigue is what you have been living with mm. for many years. And one thing that you talked about to me is the range of how that shows up, like the degree of severity, which I didn't realise. I mean, I had some friends when I was, I had a friend when I was in my teens who had, had chronic fatigue, but, you know, that's what, 35 years ago. So we didn't really know anything about it then it was very new and I remember her having to take a year off school and then just come back one or two days a week but yeah can you tell us a little bit about it and I guess yeah I mean it has such a significant impact on your life in terms of friendships relationships mm. all you know the the dynamic of relationships the time that you have your creativity mm. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so just to explain what chronic fatigue syndrome is, it's actually it's, it's actually it's actually considered to be a neurological disorder, but it's really a multi-system chronic illness that affects the nervous system, the brain, the immune system, the digestive system, and it does present in people in really different ways. Mm. So for me, I had the classic symptom of fatigue mm -hmm. and I also had digestive issues. I had insomnia. I had a lot of pain in my body mm -hmm. and I also had the classic brain fog, memory issues, cognitive issues. Mm -hmm. So most people with chronic fatigue have some variation of that, but the severity varies from person to person. Mm -hmm. There are some people who have what's called mild chronic fatigue where they can actually function reasonably well day to day but they can't do much else outside of the main tasks that they might have in life they might be able to go to work they might be able to feed themselves and pay their bills but they might not have the energy to enjoy life and socialize and do all those kind of things mm. but there are also people who are completely bedridden they mm. might even be living in care they might need full-time care Mm. And uh, I've even heard of people who had seizures and all kinds of terrible symptoms. So it's a huge range. And I've experienced being bedridden, but I've also come to the point now where I have a mild, more mild version of the illness. But we call it mild chronic fatigue, but it's actually still pretty horrible to live with. Yeah. So it's, it's not very nice to have this illness. And it, as you said, it does impact every aspect of your life. Mm. And I have experienced, you know, having to quit my job, being dependent upon other people, uh, not being able to, being so unwell that I can't even look at a computer screen. Yes. I can't talk on the phone. I can't focus on a conversation for more than one minute. So I've come from that place to where I am now, where I'm working part time, but I still deal with all of those symptoms that I've mentioned in a, in a, a more mild way yeah well I mean it's amazing that you've had being able to recover 
to the stage where you're, you know, you're independent, you can work, you look after yourself really well, as I know, and you studied and rebirthed yourself really in your professional life, haven't you? Yeah, it, it's been interesting because even though what happened to me was really terrible and it was it was something that I, I never want to experience again, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of suffering was really hard to get through. Yeah. But it has provided opportunities in my life. You know, I don't know that if I had if I had never gotten sick, I don't know if I would have taken the chance to switch careers. And yeah. you know, as much as I enjoyed my career in IT, it wasn't really that fulfilling for me and yeah. it always felt like something was missing. So things kind of falling apart and and getting sick and having to stop everything has pri- provided an opportunity to do something completely new and something that's much more aligned with my values and it gives me a sense of contributing. Yeah, and also, I mean, you have such a natural gift for music, but it feels like it's a very purposeful and meaningful career for you, Yeah. which, I don't know, to me that's like really important part of being an adult and a human in the world, isn't it? It's just doing that purposeful and meaningful work. Yeah, I think it's... I've always loved music, but combining it with music therapy, it's taken it to another level. And my understanding of music has really shifted mm. since I've been doing this work. Mm. I I guess I had a very performative idea of what music was before mm-hmm. I started mm-hmm. this career. And now I see music in a very different way. I see it in a much more dynamic way. Mm. And it's something that's available to everyone. It's not just for people who can sing really well or who have the opportunity to have a recording contract. Mm. I don't look at music that way now. I see it as something that we can all utilize to support ourselves. Mm. And not just as a listener and as an observer, but as as someone who can engage in it in in a... in a really interactive way, you know, and I also Absolutely. think, yeah. yeah, and I also think that um, that it's brought a kind of richness to my work that I didn't even know was possible. The satisfaction oh. that I get from working with clients, it just fills me up so much, and I'm really, I guess, it's also really given me a reason to keep working on my health, having mm. this focus. You know, mm. having something beautiful that I want to do helps me to kind of keep everything else on an even keel in my life and, and keep it, keep doing my treatments. Because, you know, when you're when you're working with a chronic illness, you you're doing this over a long period of time. Yes. So you. It's yeah, because like the body, the body needs that slowness to heal. Right. Which I keep banging on about all the time got to go slow we've got to go slow yeah and with chronic fatigue you're kind of forced to go slow yeah but you also do get you do get treatment fatigue as well you get yes of trying another treatment and another diet and another protocol and when you're doing that over a span of 10 years you need other things in your life to keep you motivated and Mm. music therapy and music in general has really helped me and I utilize that with my clients as well because they also have treatment fatigue they get tired of going to see speech pathologists and occupational therapists and psychologists and all the things that they need to do but music therapy is the one space that they can really just relax and enjoy themselves and get a bit of a break from all of these treatments that they have to do but they're still doing work yeah it's interesting because 
I've come to realise just doing a bit of research in the last couple of months around music and dance about, you know, the spiritual side of them, that they are ways that we communicate with each other as humans, that they have this really long and rich history, like thousands and thousands and thousands of years they've been around as a form of how we interact and communicate with each other, Mm. how we tell stories and use metaphor Mm. to express our emotions. So they, you know, there's a lot of depth there. And also I find it was interesting when I was going through my chemo treatment because uh, I was in 2020 and I wasn't allowed to have anyone with me for the back end of it because of the pandemic, uh, I would go into this room and I would take my iPad and I would put Spotify on and I would just sing because I felt um, that the obviously when you're, like, getting infusions of the drugs, like it's mm. really hard on your nervous system mm. and just the singing because it, like, stimulates your vagus nerve was, like, a naturally a very soothing thing for me to do so I would just be in there for three hours singing my little heart out yeah yeah and it felt great yeah singing really connects that experience in your body with all of those things that you're talking about your past history your memories and if you can choose songs that really help you to feel better you know it's not going to fix everything that's happening with you but it might just get you through that moment that you're Mm. as you're experiencing this really difficult treatment you know music Mm. can just be that that thing that supports you and as you as you so beautifully pointed out you can do that yourself you can get your your phone and put your headphones in and choose this music and just just engage in that and just allow the rest of the world to just disappear for a little while you know yeah yeah that's so beautifully how you can use music to support you yeah hey let's talk about relationships a little bit when you're like living with chronic illness and the impact on your relationships Mm. because you 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 explain it so insightfully when you talk to me about it yeah so when i first i should just go back a little bit so when i was living in sydney and i was working in it and in a very fast-paced environment. I had a lot of friends at work, and we spent a lot of time just having fun outside of work. It was sort of a a work hard, play hard kind of a culture. I was just, you know, I I had come out of my marriage and I was just loving life. I was just out and about going to galleries, just doing all kinds of things, you know, going to concerts and really enjoying socializing and I developed a really beautiful close-knit group of girlfriends when I was Mm -hmm. in Sydney and and all the people that were in and around that circle as I started to get sick I didn't have the energy to do that anymore I was Mm. literally I literally got to the point over a period of time probably over three years where I was going to work and I was just getting my groceries on the weekend and I couldn't do anything else Mm. and what that meant was that I became much more isolated over time Mm -hmm. and when you can't go out and meet people they're still getting on with their lives but your life is just getting smaller and smaller so it 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 can have a real toll on your social life but also it can have a toll on individual relationships so Mm. I lost friends through that through that whole experience and there were different reasons for that 
And I also felt that my relationships with the people who are closest to me changed as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, my role in those relationships changed. I became someone who was dependent instead of the role that I was used to being. You know, I was used to being the person that took care of people, that gave advice, yeah. that was there for people when they needed it. And I couldn't do that anymore. I didn't have the capacity to do that. So it really flipped a lot of the relationships that I had. And that, that was something that was hard for me to adjust to, but it was also hard for the people around me to adjust to as well and to see yeah. me suffer and to see me struggle. Because the power dynamics flipped, right? The power dynamics definitely flipped. And that was really hard for me. You know, I was so independent. I'd worked for my independence. I loved that feeling of being able to take care of myself and to be able to accept help. You know, it, it was really hard. And it's, it's a real lesson that I learned that, you know, it's okay to accept help when you when you need it. And mm. when you're sort of feeling better, you can then in turn help other people. But for that period of time, you kind of go back to a little bit of a childlike state. Yeah, I understand. I mean, it's, it's kind of the ultimate lesson in learning how to receive really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's not always easy because when you start to feel a little bit better and you want a little bit of independence, you know, it's like the child who starts to say no and sort of have you know push away a little bit it's a little bit like you having to put those boundaries back up and say hey you know i know two years ago i couldn't feed myself and i couldn't do these things but look at what i can do now yeah and and all the people around you that have been taking care of you for those few years have to then step back and allow you to grow and to become more independent again so mm -hmm. it's a really it's a really interesting experience to go from being very independent to being completely dependent to finding your independence again mm. yeah the, the patterns of interaction they flip and you can easily I mean that happened in our house I think my husband got so used to like doing everything mm. and then when I started to get better and like he had his way of doing the washing and like doing everything and I'm like, oh, I can do that now. And then he would be really crusty at me for not doing it the way he wants to do it. I'm like, uh, I'm an adult. I know how to do the washing. Like I can do it. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you, And then like, do you see what's happened to you? Do you see what's going on? And like explained it to him. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Back off a bit. All right. Give you a bit more space. Yeah. And all of that's you know, usually coming from a place of love, you've got all these people mm. around you. If you're fortunate enough to have family, because not everybody has that when they're sick. There are yes. people that are quite alone, but for those that have family around them, you know, they, they kind of love you too much. You need to, you need them to turn down all that love and care, you know, and yeah. it can be, it can feel stifling, you know, yeah. especially when you, you do, you do start to feel better and you actually need to do some things for yourself because mm. that's the way you're testing your own boundaries and mm -hmm. you're trying to work out how much you can do. So you need your loved ones to kind of give you a little bit of room yeah. and then to be there in case you do need that help because you probably still do need a little bit, but you just don't need all of that, you know? Yeah. And you're right around. It's the physical boundaries and your body will tell you when you've pushed it. Cause it'd be like, you'll be exhausted. It's like, okay, go to yeah. go and lie down immediately. Yeah, and um, that's, yeah, that's the thing with chronic fatigue syndrome. Pacing is such a huge aspect, and I'm sure that you experience that in your own journey as mm, well, mm. that 
you make mistakes mm. with your pacing and you you go you go too far a little bit and then you you kind of suffer for it and mm. learn but mm. you need to kind of work that out people can't work that stuff out for you it's your yeah body. yeah it's your own physical boundaries and you know like I, I had a big gardening day two weekends ago and then backed it up with painting the fence with Cam the next day because we'd had the front fence rebuilt and I and we had daylight saving starting and so by the end of last week I was so exhausted and on Friday I was like I'm just gonna like lay on the bed all day and read and a friend rang me and he's like what are you doing I said I'm in my tracksuit on the bed and this is where I'm staying all day and he just laughed at me and said why I said because I have completely overdone it for the last week also using gardening I guess gardening use different muscles and same with painting the fence. So I hadn't used them for quite a while. So I was a bit tired. So I completely you, understand that. Do you think you didn't understand why you needed to rest? Well, it, yes and no. So he thought it was very funny, but he, when I explained it, he went, Oh, okay. I think, um, I think it's so unusual for us as adults in this kind of, modern world that we live in to just like do nothing for the whole day and give ourselves permission to lay on the bed all day so it is humorous mm. in that sense mm. and um but then when I sort of gave him the context he went oh fair enough um yeah so I think it's unusual that we just don't do things like that mm. but I don't have a problem with it quite frankly <laughs> so yeah, it's just culturally unacceptable in many ways, isn't it, to just stop and do absolutely nothing mm. for the entire day. Yeah, that's right. It, it is. And and sometimes you kind of, I've felt that I've had to make excuses or, you know, give reasons, especially mm. getting back to that social aspect of people inviting me to go somewhere and you know saying oh we're go all going out to the Arrow Valley we're going to drive around all afternoon and we're going to drink wine you know it's such and such birthday and mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I, logistically I'm thinking how am I going to drive all afternoon and drink I, I can't really tolerate alcohol that much you know and mm. navigating all of those kind of social implications or dealing with an illness it's really quite challenging I totally understand that yeah, and I just don't do it so much anymore. So, which kind of leads me to my next thought in terms of this question. Can we talk a little bit about, I guess, how illness can become our identity if we're not careful? Mm. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I've actually gone on a bit of a journey with this and I'm still processing a lot of things mm. so I'll just tell you where I'm at now with it you know when I first got sick I was just so shocked that I was unwell and I got my diagnosis and had to pack everything up and go home as I said and my my view was that it was only temporary mm. I was going to go back to Melbourne get myself well and then I would head back to my life and that's not exactly what happened. Mm. I've had a lot of ups and downs with the illness, but I've always been focused on recovery. 
I am going to get well. I'm going to get back to who I was before mm -hmm. I got sick. And it's been such a long journey now. Eventually, I had to, I had to confront the idea that I might not get well. Mm. This might be what I'm going to be like for the rest of my life. Mm. Now, I have improved a lot, and I've been very fortunate in, in the sense that I've been able to get back to some part-time work. I'm able to do some socializing. I can drive now. I've got a fairly independent life. Mm -hmm. And there are people that don't, don't get to this place. Mm. But, you know, along the way, you have to make so many concessions in your life. You have to change so many things, things that you took for granted before. It, you can't help but you can't help but be confronted by the idea that this is who you are now. Mm. You know? And with something like chronic illness, it varies so much with, with the kind of conditions that people have, whether they identify with it. Now, if, you, if you're talking to people in the chronic fatigue uh, community, there are varying attitudes to this. There are some people with chronic fatigue who believe it's a permanent condition and you'll never get well. Mm. And they they speak about it like it's a it's a disability. It's an invisible. They speak about it like it's an invisible disability. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are others, particularly on YouTube, who share their recovery stories and they're a hundred percent better or they're much better. Mm. So uh, it's really tricky to talk about this because to be respectful of people who are genuinely still very well and have been for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And there are others who have recovered. But the reality is the statistics say that only 5% of people recover from this illness. Mm, so okay. I've been grappling with that lately because I've been so recovery focused. Um, I've really, I guess I've missed the opportunity to think about how it might benefit me to think about it in terms of disability. Mm -hmm. And it might be a way for me to frame my life that, to make it more easy and to have an attitude of acceptance actually might help me to manage my life in a more efficient way and to have more peace about it and less struggle and less frustration. You know, one of the things that happens when you have chronic fatigue is that you, you can be very sensitive to stress. So if you're dealing with always feeling frustrated with your symptoms, it can actually hinder you from managing your symptoms in a more efficient way and it can actually keep you more unwell so yeah because you're living in a, like a heightened state of sympathetic arousal when you're in that frustrated state yeah. so like that's yeah i can totally imagine how that would have a significantly negative impact on your illness and and recovery or just being well consistently well think about it that way and that makes also, a lot of sense there's also the notion of what is wellness you know we mm. have this idea you know if you think about um someone who gets a diagnosis you know one day they're well and the next day they're sick you know and they're in the medical system and they're being tested and 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 treated as this unwell person whereas actually the day before they were exactly the same person but mm. They've got this diagnosis. So mm. the way we think and talk about illness in 
in the community is actually it, it can actually be quite a disempowering experience yeah you know so those kind of labels you know that you're 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 unwell you've got a chronic illness you've got a disability they can be challenging things to navigate in terms of how other people view you yeah you know? so yeah what i've tried to think about is how can i think about my illness in a way that is going to help me and empower me and not make me feel like a victim you know yeah I do think about that a lot and I think about it's really interesting me so I had a really bad autoimmune disease like 20 years ago and it, um, called reactive arthritis which is a really debilitating form of arthritis and I had it for quite a few years and um then when when my eldest son was one and he got diagnosed with celiac disease the pediatrician said oh I think this is what's wrong with you right I had a whole lot of tests for celiac wasn't sort of coming up anyway I went off gluten and of course the arthritis went away so he's like do not eat it you've probably got it it's just not presenting properly mm. not showing up and I you know had really good health for years after that and so when I and I, I found that really challenging having, it was sort of four to five years I had that autoimmune and I was sort of determined to just push through, probably not realising I needed to rest a bit, bit more because I've always been so physical and so active. Mm. And, yeah, I just kind of went back to my old self. It was really good. Um, didn't really, like I just didn't see it as part of my identity. It was just mm. kind of this thing in my life that I kind of coped with mm. and people would see me sort of hobbling around and there were some days where I had to take a day off a few days off work because it was really bad but mostly it was pretty manageable and uh, when I got cancer I just kind of it was easy for me to kind of go inward and be quiet because of the pandemic really um Last summer I was, uh, I love swimming and I was swimming, I swim a couple of times a week, laps, and I was at the local pool and I started talking to this lady who was lying next to me after I'd finished and she turned out to be a psychologist and we were like talking, talking, talking for ages and something came up and I sort of mentioned to her, this is after talking for about 20 minutes, that I had had cancer the year before and had undergone treatment and I was now in full remission and going quite well and she said, you're going to be fine. And I said, why? And she said, because it's not a part of your identity. Mm. Went, okay. And she said, you know, there are a lot of people who make it a big part of their identity. Mm. She's like, what do you think about that? I said, well, you know, I don't really judge them. Like if it helps them in their healing journey, I think that's okay. And if their message, if they're out there talking about their illness and it helps other people, I think, that's okay too. It's just not who I choose to be. Like I don't want to be a cancer person. It's just something that's happened to me and I'm very disciplined human being anyway and I take very good care of myself mm. and always have and, you know, life sucks sometimes. These things happen. Mm. So she had quite it's sort of I thought a fairly strong but compassionate view around it. I don't know. And I just kind of think, well, you know, I think the world needs all types of people, right? Mm, I agree. I, I think that that's a very personal idea. 
mm. whether you identify with illness or not. Mm. And there are so many factors at play. And I don't think it's that helpful for people to be too prescriptive about it. Mm -hmm. you know, it's really... Because we're so unique. Like we're such, yeah. we're all unique and we all have our own unique journey. Our nervous system is so unique. So, you know, in some ways I think it's helpful to, like storytelling is a great form of, of understanding the human experience. Mm. And so, you know, if one person's story helps another human, great. Yeah. Um, if, it, yeah if it doesn't, that's okay. I was actually told when I first got diagnosed, the, the doctor who diagnosed me told me not to get into the online forums mm. and and to resist the idea of identifying with the chronic fatigue community mm. Mm. and i i also got diagnosed with lyme disease as well and she she wanted me to not go there because she saw it as something that would hinder me getting well mm -hmm. by identifying with them and i guess I was so new to it all. I took her advice and I really didn't go online and, and get into all of that. But I also think I probably cut myself off from some support that would have been really beneficial for me. Yeah. You know, and I did actually meet a woman later on uh, when I was having a little sabbatical, a beach uh, sabbatical to try and get well before I, I actually ended up in bed for the nine months. And she... She was someone who did identify as having a chronic illness, but she was very proactive in, in treating it. And she gave me so many tips. She actually ended up pointing me towards the doctor that's helped me to get to the, to the level of functioning that I have now. Mm. So if I hadn't met her, I probably wouldn't have achieved the, the level of functioning that I currently have. So it wasn't something that kept her down, having mm. that identity. It was something that empowered her to keep looking for treatments. Mm. Because in the case of chronic fatigue syndrome, there is no cure. Mm. All it is is symptom management. And so little is known about that. Mm. So actually, the chronic fatigue community are the ones that are fighting for more understanding, more research, more help, because we don't really know enough about this illness. So identifying with that community is is probably a really positive thing in a lot of ways because it's the only place that you're probably going to get it sounds more like an activism sort of identity yeah yeah does that resonate yeah i think so for those that are well enough to to take an activist kind of role there are a lot of people with chronic fatigue who who can't do that mm. but i know that for me in my life, the people that I've met who understand what I'm going through are either people who've had something like this or mm. people who are re related to or have close friends who have something like this. There's so, there's so little that's known about it and there's so little empathy and understanding that, you know, in, there's still this idea out there that, that it, you're just a bit lazy and if you do a bit more exercise, if you just follow this graded exercise program, you're gonna be fine and it's all in your head. So I think these communities are essential to shine a light on this illness and to provide support to people who are isolated with it. In, from a nervous system perspective with chronic fatigue, it's like you're in, stuck in freeze. Is that what's going on? 
Well, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I know for me, it's like an activated state. Mm. So it, you call it hyper arousal. It's, it's like the opposite a, then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's stuck like in a, on. You're on. That's right. So it's called, often it's referred to as tired and wired. So yeah. you might be exhausted at the end of the day and, you know, you really want to go to sleep, but your nervous system is so. Uh, aroused that you actually can't go to sleep and yeah. you end up just laying in bed for hours and hours and that 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 state is something that a lot of people with chronic fatigue deal with yeah well, I mean this happens to a lot of women in their perimenopause really? transition yeah yeah like you get well because you know uh estrogen declines okay so it's a very soothing hormone and I think it buffers up against cortisol in our mm in our body mm. and so what happens is a lot of people get cortisol dominant and also because the uh adrenal glands take over the production of sex hormones when the ovaries stop mm. but the adrenal glands so therefore are producing stress hormones and sex hormones and it won't produce both at the same time it can't do that they have that inverse relationship and so if you think about it you know you're their responsibility, your, your body's nervous system is like about keeping you safe and keeping you alive. It will always choose your safety over anything, okay? Mm. And so because those cultural factors that you and I have talked about a lot of just pushing through, pushing through, pushing through, being on, 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 on. And so what happens to a lot of women is that they just get in this like dominant cortisol state mm. and they're just all like stuck in this on and they, they don't know how to manage their stress. They don't know how to manage, um, you know, think about a lot of people's lives, I guess, you know, professionally we're often, you know, in a pretty good place in our career. We've been working for 20 to 30 years now. We possibly have, you know, people might have marriage breakups like what happened to you people have teenagers like me or they have some people have kids later so they have smaller children some people might have that some people have uh parents who are unwell so generally our midlife is a time where we just have a lot going on and a lot of us are worried and we are stressed and so the bottom line is, is that you can get stuck in this on state. Of course, you will not be able to go to sleep and your libido will go, right, because of that inverse relationship. Mm. Um, so, yes, yeah, sleep management and stress management become super, super, super important mm. at this point in life. But, you know, there's a part of me that, if I kind of look at it in a very spiritual, holistic way and look at the midlife transition, which is very much about, okay, we're going from a very kind of first adulthood that's very ego-driven about doing stuff and getting stuff done and having the career and having the house and the car and all that to a life that is where second adulthood is about more meaningful, um, purpose-driven, people looking, you know, like you, you want work, that is purpose-driven and meaningful. So you and I are the same in that respect. And that I see that in a lot of clients in their midlife transition, they're like, there's got to be more to, the, to life than this, than this kind of cycle of drudge that I'm on. So I see that looking after your health and well-being is a really critical part of this transition because you can't keep going at that pace for the rest of your life. Like you will burn yourself out. And I'd guess 
in female bodies in particular, if I look at it from a Taoist perspective, like we talk about um, our life force energy, our chi or our prana, you know, depending on mm. kundalini energy, we're only born with a certain amount of it and we need to learn to replenish it and it starts to kind of burn out at midlife, mm. okay? And so few of us have the skills or knowledge of how do I replenish my chi? Okay, so how do I do? And there's just there's a whole lot of great practices that we can use to do that. Um, and, and that's why I think a lot of women in particular do get really sick at this time in life because they are literally exhausted and burned out. Mm, it's interesting. I can definitely relate to that idea of not stopping until you're stopped. Mm. I would have definitely kept going. Um, with the with chronic illness, the chronic illness that I have, it the triggers that led to getting chronic fatigue, I don't fully understand what those were. People don't actually know what causes chronic fatigue. Mm. There there are some strong indicators that getting a virus yeah I've heard uh, that is is a factor. Uh, your genetics, hormones. Uh, toxins in the environment all of these kind of things can be triggers but there is a character trait in people with chronic fatigue that is more like the type a personality and that's yeah. come through that's come through in in uh, some of the research and also anecdotal yeah. stories about people with chronic fatigue that there are people who tend to push mm. and i wonder that when you at first get those signals in your body that you need to start slowing down, mm. if you have that type A personality, you just push through it. And then the push about your own personal boundaries. Yeah, you're pushing because that's all you've been taught as a woman, but men, men go through this as well. But as a woman, we're taught to just keep going and going and going because we're this resource to everyone around us. And we've got mm -hmm. to fix everything and we've got to keep mm -hmm. doing, you know, even if you don't have children, it's just so it's so ingrained in the way we were taught to be Absolutely. as women that we were not supposed to take care of ourselves. So you literally keep going until you can't go anymore, whether that's a chronic illness or you, you hit menopause and you start having symptoms. So I can mm. definitely relate to that. In terms of the sleep, the tired and wired thing, um, I think mindfulness and meditation and all of those sort of more spiritual or brain training kind of things that you can do are, are things that can help you to bring that nervous system down. But mm. there are also physical factors at play, which you've talked about as well with your mm. adrenals, your hormones, and that's definitely happening with chronic fatigue as well, yeah. where your your body isn't functioning as it normally would. So it's you need to work so much more slower. consistently and slower, and it takes yeah. a lot longer to bring yourself down. And it's something that I still struggle with you know i'm always trying to regulate my nervous system yeah and i realize a lot of that's not my fault it's just what's happening in my body yeah yeah and you know i like it's one of my great passions in life is you know like somatic experiencing which i'm in training for but i'm a somatic coach is teaching people how to listen to their body and their nervous system mm. and how powerful that is not just for their health and well-being, but for their relationships, you know, and also being aware of their partner's nervous system because our autonomic nervous system drives our states and behaviours. 
So, of course, if we're in that sort of fight and flight mode, we're probably going to be angry. We're probably going to be frustrated. We're, you know, if we're freeze, we're going to be more collapsed depressed and if we're sort of in fawn we'll be doing a lot of pleasing but we'll also be a little bit disassociated at the same time and so just even recognizing that in your partner can have a tremendously positive impact on the quality of your relationship and having compassion for each other when you see you know when you see your partner in a state like that to like be okay if I'm feeling grounded how can I hold space for them how can I help them? How can I really see them in their pain or their activation and like support them to kind of come into a more regulated place? Imagine if we all had that knowledge. Wouldn't life be so much more lovely? I think it would be. It would be amazing. But that what you're talking about requires such self-knowledge but also skill and also yeah. your own kind of I guess being able to manage your own state when you are tuning in with someone else's mm-hmm. that's a challenge as well that I, I, I have to deal with in my, in my music therapy work yes. as well to be able yeah. to hold a space for someone else when I'm actually maybe feeling quite activated myself and yeah. to regulate myself so that I can hold that space for someone else. Absolutely. It can, be, it can be a positive thing because if you do feel that responsibility or that level of care, whether it's your work in your work or whether you're dealing with family or people that you love in your life, it can actually be something that helps you to regulate yourself. Yes. To, to get into that idea of co-regulation. You Absolutely. Know, you're helping each other. Each other. Mm. It can be quite a beautiful thing, but mm. it does take time and skill and it's not something that I'm, I've perfected by any means. I, I feel like I'm a novice in that area, but awareness has helped me to, it's it's your it's your first step, isn't it, to be aware? Absolutely. Knowledge and awareness. Like I think in terms of nervous system, like knowledge is so powerful. And you're like, oh, okay, wow, yeah. All right, maybe I can't sleep because I am in this highly aroused state. And... There's probably going to be a, quite a few different things that I can do to start sort of training my body a little bit, like changes in my behaviour. Maybe I stop looking at screens for an hour or so before I go to bed, um, thinking about what you've eaten, that like, you know, thinking about caffeine and things like that that stimulate your adrenal gland. Yeah, maybe it's not, maybe I'll just detox on caffeine. Which kind of brings me to my next question. Have you had to detox a lot of your life in terms of, say, cosmetics, cleaning products, things around the house to improve your health? Definitely. I, I, I made huge changes, especially when I was first sick. Mm. And a lot of that was driven by the fact that I just couldn't stand chemicals. Mm. My sense of smell was just so heightened and my skin was super sensitive. So mm. I got rid of all of the cleaning uh, all the cleaning chemicals that I had, I changed over to organic products for my skin or didn't put anything on my skin, changed Mm. my shampoo. I ate a full organic diet for a long time. Mm. Um, And even environmental noise, I had to Mm. reduce the amount of noise. I couldn't stand hearing a a motor or an engine or even the dishwasher. I couldn't handle that kind of environmental Mm -hmm. noise in my house. But those sensitivities over time have really dialed down. So I went through a process of really cleaning up my diet and all the environmental things that I put on my body or or in my house. 
and I've been able to tolerate a little bit more now so I can have a little bit of sugar now I can I can use the odd chemical because when COVID came I was using sort of microfiber cloths in my house but when COVID came I started had to having to use antibacterial wipes yes. and you know those sorts of things so I haven't been I haven't been chemical free for a little while but I especially at the beginning when I was really sick I got rid of everything I had to yeah yeah I found that with my chemo treatment I could not use there was like one or two things I could use on my skin mm. and um uh one of the drugs that I was on made my skin photosensitive mm. so um luckily I was going through treatment in colder months in Australia um and there was like, so I couldn't put sunscreen on, even though the nurses were like, wear sunscreen. Like I literally was like rugged up in hats and gloves. And um, so I didn't get any sun exposure. And then when I went out walking and then there was like one product, which I still use. And my, obviously as soon as I stopped the treatment, everything started to heal and get better. Uh, but yeah, I don't use any cosmetic like makeup or skincare products that have anything in them. Like I'm pretty, have stayed pretty um, organic with all of that and shampoo and cleaning products around the house. Like I think there's one or two things that we use, mm. but we've kept it fairly um, chemical free as much as possible. It's hard, isn't it? It is hard. I think the way I like to think about it, which I found helpful was, thinking about your total toxic load. Yeah. So if you can, you, you reduce exposures in the areas that you can. And even with your food, if you can't access organic food, you can, you can try and get the freshest food that you can. And also maybe try and get the, the foods that have the most toxins in, in them to be organic. So yeah, things like, yeah, like the big, there's that big 10 list. Yeah. Have you, yeah. You would have seen, maybe we can put a reference in the show notes yeah. so, so people the, can access the dirty it. Dozen, the dirty yeah. dozen, they call it the clean 16, Yeah, you know, so the, the ones that are the key ones that have the most toxins, maybe you just focus on getting those organic and, yeah. you know, it's, it's probably going to be better for your health to have fresh food than, you know, having stuff that's organic that's been shipped from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away that's that's old and not as fresh. So yes. just trying to think about it in a holistic way. Yeah. And, and also just cost effective because let's be yeah. pragmatic, like organic food costs more, which is crazy, yes. but it does. And so yeah, if you if you know like those clean 16 or you know the the products that are more susceptible to contamination, then they're the things that you can buy organic and then the rest, you know, you can buy more homogenous stuff that doesn't hold the toxic load as much. And also just you might not be well enough to, if you're living on your own and you have to get your own food, you might not be able to drive an hour across the city to an organic store or yeah. there might not be a delivery service. Whereas if you can get up to your local supermarket and get some food, mm. that's that. Sometimes that's just as much as you can do. You just do the best you can. Yes. You know, and, and hopefully that just being able to take care of yourself in that way by not pushing yourself too hard, maybe that's the better choice in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might finish it up there. It's been such a good and helpful discussion, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. If people wanted to get in contact with you, how can they find you? 
that's a good question. You can you can come back to me on that and we can put some contact details. Yeah, I'd be happy to help with any questions that people have of my recovery. Or even about music therapy, if they're interested in talking to you about music yeah. therapy. They can actually get me at myvoicemusictherapy at yeah. gmail.com. Yeah. So please email me and let me know if you have any questions about what I do. I'd be happy to answer them. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's been a really worthwhile discussion. And I think well, hopefully some people learn something and it's helpful to them. Thanks. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate you having me. No problem.